we're going to have to be able to move and change much faster in the future. So, you know, let's prepare for that now. What does it take on all levels? And then realize that, you know, this world is becoming what, well, with technology permeating, it's becoming more deep uh, within the world, you know, while it's, it's certainly scattered across the world and made us more connected. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Today, I am welcoming Ed Briault to the show. Ed, we're going to talk a lot about your expertise and insights. Love if you do a little intro of yourself for the audience that doesn't know you yet. Absolutely. Thanks, Ledge. Thanks for having me on. Yes, Ed Brialt. I am the chief marketing officer at Aprimo. Aprimo is a software as a service uh, B2B organization and uh, market leader in product categories uh, called digital asset management and marketing work management and just massively passionate about it and um, uh, passionate about uh, demand gen branding content and uh, all things like transformative in the customer experience. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit about digital asset management. You know, I I know that term. I'm a little bit of a knowledge management sales enablement nerd uh, because of my happy place at the bottom of the funnel. We do appreciate those things. But for the business owners and leaders who, you know, aren't there yet or or haven't maybe organized around it, let's let's do a little glossary. Sure, absolutely. And it is it, it's it's pretty simple, but at the same time it can be complex. Uh, but digital asset management or DAM essentially is a, a strategic approach to uh, managing as digital assets. So from creation, storage, search, find, uh, accessibility, the activation of content, the enrichment of content. Uh, so an example, you know, one of the brands that uses our technology is the Home Depot. And I think we can all relate to, you know, home improvement and all of the content that the Home Depot creates, licenses, produces for, you know, the, the spin sets on a hammer or nails or the how-to videos, right? If you want to install a sink, they've got all that content. So we store that content, make it accessible for all the endpoints of content, whether that be the awesome uh, mobile app that they have or uh, feeding into their CMS onto the website or in the store all that content uh, for uh, the experience they deliver and the products they have is based on the digital asset management technology. So in that case, that's a like a B2B to C type of example. You've got an enormous body of content and, and you could tell they really push off on that from a brand standpoint, you know, more saving, more doing or whatever it is, right? And then, you know, I can watch videos, which of course will entice me to buy the tool or thing that's in the video. So inspire me to do projects. And and I imagine that I'm a B2B 
salesperson. So I, I imagine there's quite a similar type of, of workflow that is necessary for, for B2B marketers. I mean, tons of content. And, and I can tell you, you know that we're all past the world of like, yay, like let's download a white paper, right? I think there's there must be like there's a creative leap now that's that's necessary there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, in the in the B two B space and or the B two C space, I like to call it like the H to H, human to human. That that's really how we're selling now. Like I know as uh, a B two C buyer or B two B buyer, it's like I still want to go through a buying process in in a similar fashion. I need to trust the brand. I want to get value from the brand, good utility. Yes, white papers, absolutely. I think they're somewhat still relevant, but the um, sort of at the glass experiences, whether you know, you're B2B or B2C are just how we consume you know, the, the visual aspects of uh, sort of the visual aspect of a brand, uh, super important it's with our eyes and in how we see that the need for rich media in uh, B2B is, is, has gone way up. You know, we've definitely seen a lot of B2B brands, uh, you know, assume some uh, B2C strategies and the idea of uh, experiences, pulling them along a journey, content being there for that, those zero moments of, of truth or the, the moment of, of need, content need, et cetera, is uh, super critical for growth. Right, right. Yeah. I'd love to get into some of the, the insights on that. I love that human to human thing. I actually haven't heard that. So, I mean, I, and that makes a lot of sense. And it certainly uh, intellectually would collapse the the barriers, you know, between this B2C sort of B2C is so different brand wise than B2B, which you hear, you know, kind of all the time. And, you know, I, maybe I fall into that too, but you're right. Uh, people, you know, from the sales side, we say, you know, people buy from, folks they know, like, and trust. So I I would imagine human to human then really involves putting a more consumable or more like personalized, humanized face on, on education, right? I mean, nobody consumes this content just because they're bored. You know, this isn't like scrolling uh, YouTube shorts. Like I watch my kids do all day. Yeah. There must be so much there. Yeah. We have a need to know. And, you know, we're doing research, we're consuming. And one of the big problems that we're, we're seeing now, and we're, I call it digital pollution, which is you've got everybody now, not just B2C brands, not just B2B brands, but each of us, you and I, we are media producers. So it's like when everybody's creating media, media we're all competing over eyeballs and attention and so when you do that, there's a lot of waste and or call it um, content pollution out there or digital pollution. So the new challenge now is how do you pattern disrupt folks? How do you break through? And so like this idea of, of volume is a problem. Um, so we really need to be focused on the quality equation. Like in our day, while we're on this podcast, we're almost we're competing for attention with somebody uh, multitasking? Did they get a FedEx package at the door? You know, are they shopping on Amazon during the presentation? It's like this co- hyper competition for attention is bigger than ever. Right, right. And even when you're when you're meaningfully trying to just say hey, this is just a contribution because people like to learn things, uh, you run into discoverability. Or I'm mean, like, you know, any given time right now, there's probably you know two thousand CMOs recording a podcast episode, you know, if not more, right? <laughs> and 
and even when it's good, you just have the, the idea that is like, you know, I think in the podcast land, for example, where, you know, we're seeing like people talk about, well, is it saturated and yes and no, right? Like, uh, you know, rabid podcast consumer we're finding can only listen to, you know, maybe be a fan of eight, you know, max. So, you know, the, you're, you're now in the position of trying to displace somebody else's podcast because the follow queue is too high and you'll never listen to it. Um, at the same time, you know, people have a hunger to, to learn in different formats. So that's where audio becomes nice, but yeah, I mean, it's like people aren't reading as much, but people are consuming more content and where, and, and then that limited space at the top of the YouTube search and the top of the, the Google search that everybody's still gunning for. I mean, it's just so complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. I think we're giving folks uh, more choices to consume media now, like the podcast, right? I like to do triathlon, so swim, bike, run. When I get on my bike before podcasts or you know traditional forms of consuming information, I wouldn't be able to do. Now I can pop on my favorite podcast. If I'm in the mood for entertainment or in the mood to educate or in the mood to, you know, sharpen my you know, professional skills, there's there's a, a channel out there for me at my at the context of need, which is what I'm looking for right now. It's meaningful and I'm receptive to it. I learned this lesson. It was, it's a very, a very hard one. I'll call it cheat code of communication. It's like and when I put that to work, it actually changed my world, which is communication is the receiving of, of information. It's not the sending of information. It does need to be sent, but it, there's no communication unless, unless it's received. So this idea of uh, context uh, and it being received to your audience is, I think, where we need to be putting more of our focus and put more of the why back into what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, I know the like the you know, top seven categories for podcasts does in fact include news and, and business, however, far outstripped by, you know, entertainment, comedy and sports. And then you kind of say like, yeah, this is a great channel, but, but then how does a brand authentically communicate in a way that will be, you know, sort of hungrily consumed and, and let's face it, you know, digital asset management or B2B podcasting or whatever thing we sell, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to be funny, you know? <laughs> so we're not a sport. So that one's out. And, you know, then how can we make education even remotely entertaining? And, and I think that's the challenge. Yeah. You're hitting on something that is like genius right now, which is Actually, there's a brand out there. I'm not sure if if you have or others who have heard of this product. It's a, a mountain water product. It's called Liquid Death. And if you've heard of Liquid Death, it's a it's a very healthy mineral water or mountain water, and it's comes in like I think four different flavors. I tried them all, but the CEO, what he did, he came. He was a, a designer. He was from an agency, and he came to the conclusion or he woke up to the conclusion that people generally hate advertising and they hate shitty marketing. And what he did was he grew his company 3X year over year from 2018 with pure, inter he marketed his product with just entertainment, inter entertainment via, um, you know, rock bands have his product and um, 
and he'll put the product within the context of an entertaining uh, situation. And I think that's something for us to think about, which is even if we're B2B brands, uh, we're connecting. We don't want to be bored. We, you know, that's the worst thing we could ever do is create a boring experience. Be entertaining, like take some hints like uh, the CEO of Liquid Death did, which is uh, take some inspiration from like Saturday Night Live and uh, be entertaining. And, you know, it's really knowing your audience and creating that, uh, uh, that entertainment factor, which I think we need to be more brave and edgy on uh, if we want to pattern disrupt and like really connect and build that trust we need. Yeah, and I love you. Just, I was going to jump on that pattern disruption thing. Like, I I was literally walking through the soft drink aisle at the store, and bottom left shelf, I see Liquid Death out of the corner of my eye, and I go, "What the hell is that?" And I stop in the thing, and I go down, and I look, and I'm like, "Why is this healthy water called that?" And I mean that that thing is so accurate that idea of the the pattern interruption and you'll read about that in b2b and in dare i say the more boring context of you know how to write compelling email copy that someone will open on an outbound but uh yeah i mean and uh, i should i should say also like let's 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 um make sure people are aware of of your podcast because it, it is all about uh well, you tell the story of that because I think you probably cover this pattern interrupt idea on a regular basis. So. Yeah, it's, it's massively important. Yeah, I, I do have a podcast uh, as well, um, and it's called Marketing Cheat Codes. If you just search for that, I think we're like we get all the SEO juice from cheat codes, anything, which is really kind of weird, but brilliant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, Marketing Cheat Codes have uh, have interesting guests on, like practitioners, um, authors, thought leaders, and we're unpacking like the tangible like takeaway cheat codes that we can um, you know apply after listening to somebody who's gone through the pain of learning. Yeah, and and that pattern interrupt thing. And you talked about off mic that maybe we could jump into those two things along with the intent-based marketing. Because I think like I know at the bottom of the funnel, you know, like uh, you can do all kinds of stuff from a marketing standpoint, but timeliness and intention, that's what always wins. You know, we talk about budget authority need and timing. Outbound making people aware of stuff is great, but they want it later. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't want it now, which is what intent. And then how do I get them to pay attention at time of intent, which is really that pattern interrupt? Yeah, move them from like even passive interest or demand to active demand. Yeah, I so uh, as a CMO of a B2B SaaS organization going through hyper growth, one of the very top uh, things that I own is the growth related to pipeline creation. And I sign up for numbers, I have to deliver on numbers. And there's an economics of winning that needs managed. And yeah, I looked at when I launched my account-based marketing, or we call it ABX now, account-based experiences, because it's more than just marketing. Uh, it's sales and marketing and uh, that full, the customer journey uh, experience. And we really lean in on and what fuels our account-based strategy is the prioritization of opportunities out there. So there's, you've, we've heard of the TAM, the total addressable market. But the new, the new KPI that we look at is the total addressable in market. So the TAME, if you will, 
in how we know which accounts to, because we've got a very large uh, potential market out there, but the economics of getting to them when they're putting themselves in market is where we want to be. So it's no longer like fishing with the nets. Of course, it is algorithmic demand and in, in bringing folks inbound. Absolutely. On top of that, it's then going, you know, fishing with the spears and going, finding the demand that what didn't maybe even know of your brand, they didn't know that they had the problem you can solve. But with intent data, it really shapes our, our prioritization, our strategies, our messaging, our personas, so that we can do things like answer customers' questions, which, which are, what are the questions they have at their moment of need that they're searching for? They're out there, number one, that's what intent data provides. And then you can tailor your message to go and build something that's contextually relevant, interesting, pattern disrupts, and then all of the, you know, the, the team that you have, right? The, the, we manage uh, the CAC equation, customer acquisition cost. I have to do that. It's my job. I need to, in the most efficient possible way, build pipeline. So um, ABX fueled with intent data and uh, having a very like, nimble and agile team allows me to, uh, to go and do that. Where does intent data come from? I mean, I totally resonate with the ABM turned ABX, you know, that, that, that feels natural. Intent data was always the thing that I kind of just like, I'm not sure. I think I want that, but I sure don't know how to get it. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, absolutely. So if I could classify intent in, I'll call it like three different flavors of intent. There's first party intent, which is like the most valuable. That is where we can see purchase intent on our own uh, on our owned digital properties. So we can see that brand, you know, XYZ is either interacting with email or on the website or converted or or the chatbot. We use a, a chatbot called Qualified, which I think is awesome. If anybody wants to talk about that, I'm very happy to. That's your first party intent data. Third party intent data, we actually have an intent provider and what they do, they source it through third party networks. And so what we do then is plug that into, we've got Salesforce uh, as our CRM and marketing automation tool. We actually get the third party network data in there. Uh, and then there's this second party intent data where we get from like ratings and review sites, like peer review sites, like Trust Radius, uh, Captera, uh, G2. G2. Yeah. Exactly. So we know it's, it's their data that says they're, you know, surging demand on us. And so then what we're able to do is say, you know, if I want to bring in a sp very specific financial services organization, I'm able to see what their, what their intent score is. And if they're low at the intent, then I'll apply very different like brand awareness, you know, strategies and tactics on them. But if I can see that that account is starting to surge, meaning they're putting off signals, they're, their employees are, they're going on Google and they're searching for how do I manage my content or how do I manage content compliance? It's picked up through those third parties. And then that intent signal sent into my intent engine and then tells me that account is like, Ed, get your team on that account, work a message, research the company, research the people, uh, get the buying group modeled. And it's like that like you get the reticle on the target you're trying to uh, 
trying to get in a very efficient, cost-effective way. Very interesting. Thank you for that explanation. I just learned something. So thank you. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Right, right. Well, I'll listen to cheat codes to learn more about it. So. <laughs> worry. Um, yeah, there's all that. There's such a threat to data right now, data to personalize with like the death of the cookie, obviously, well, GDPR started some of that, but like death of, uh, of the cookie, um, you know, Apple's clearing cookie uh, d- data every like two weeks now. And so uh, we have to get much better as marketers being more creative. I think it's a, it's a cool challenge. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me think of that, you know, we, we have the ability now through podcast statistics to uh, presuming someone's listening at work, we can, you know, actually track what companies are listening to the podcast. And that's been a tremendous asset for B2B that uh, I think as this medium evolves, you know, like, and you're able to actually figure out like, Hey, how, how are people listening to certain content? Particularly if you sell MarTech or, you know, something of the marketing services variety, that's going to be huge because, oh, look, people want that thing. You know, let's focus on that. So it's it's a nice time to have that, you know, evolve on, on the media side of the equation as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great way to learn, too. I love the surfacing of the, the conversations. I've just learned such such good information from other people sharing voices on uh, on podcasts. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your, your past journey, your lessons learned, you know, like maybe I'm listening and I'm somebody who wants to, to grow up and be a, a CMO, you know, what, what has gone into that, that career, you know, journey in, in B2B? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll take you back to the beginning a little bit, but uh, I really got, it's weird. Like I never, of, I, of course I went to school, college, uh, undergrad for business and marketing. So I can say that I started to put myself in there, but right out uh, of the right into the world of uh, getting a, a job, I actually got into nuclear energy, and um, I was just really interested in. At that time, we called it big data, like way after I was doing it, but it was big data at the time. Didn't have that term, so it was um, basically my job was to go in and build apl- advanced like analytic models for like petabytes of data pulling out that were pulled out from uh, the nuclear power plant. I saw the power of insights and uh, decision support systems. And then I got completely bored with it. So I quit and got into uh, big four consulting. Um, so really, you know, launched my career there and on lots of projects, working with marketing departments and you know, doing digital transformation with enterprises. And then just loved transforming. I loved change. I like to navigate through it. Like I, I get bored really easy. So I need like full, all parts of my brain, like left and right be to be full brain, so to speak. And I think I just naturally then started gravitating towards marketing because I stopped getting bored. I could be analytical. I could be very data driven. I could talk a good, you know, KPI, leading indicator diagnostic metric data biased game, but at the same time, storytelling and uh, connecting with audiences and creating experiences that didn't exist and uh, uh, synthesizing, you know, challenging concepts into very easily accessible. And that's really just kind of how I I start to uh, just lean into my marketing career when I was, when I actually started with a primo, I was, I was doing executive uh, and strategic consulting work for some of the, like the biggest brands there. 
and it was their problem. Like their problem was the revenue or the brand problem. It wasn't mine. And then I said, you know what? I want it to be my problem. So I signed up to uh, to be a marketer myself uh, for my brand and have really enjoyed uh, the ride. That's interesting coming out of the, like you actually got to, if not be the customer, work on the customer's problem. And I mean, that, that's got to be a really good view into how do you then market to a solution approach? You know, I mean, that's, that's huge. And I don't think a lot of people get to do that. You don't always get the benefit of like really living in that customer. Like literally, yeah, it, it, it was the ultimate cheat code before I took on the role of, of marketing to them, which was embed myself with them. So I literally lived for some of these accounts. It was a year, a year plus solving their problems, getting into like the, the challenges of people process technology, culture, politics, and uh, really understanding their industry verticals, whether they be life sciences or financial services or high-tech B2B or retail CPG, nonprofit organizations with these awesome missions uh, that they're out there doing. I, I got to work with them, um, put my hands on their problem, help solve their problem. And then now what I do is I help let organizations know that there's a solution for these problems. And I can empathize more uh, having been in their shoes, walking in their shoes. Uh, and I think that's one of the things we can never lose sight of, which is if you want to really get to know your customers, you've got to spend some time there's no shortcutting really understanding what a customer and or potential customer wants and needs and or is motivated by you. You've got to put some time in there. Yeah. And how would, how would you do that without working in it? I think that that thing gets missed so much. It's so easy to, to grow up in, in any function, you know, we could talk about marketing or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But I mean, what you really find is customer experience is actually touched by all those you know, sort of pieces of the company or functions if we departments, I, you know, like I, I think, for example, we completely, in many cases in B2B, miss the boat on how much CX is impacted by our finance groups. And I know from a sales standpoint, like, or that's where we started talking about revenue, it is is marketing and it's the finance experience and the billing experience and, of course, ops, delivery. And if we were to focus around that, you tip typically find that the folks who are, you know, excellent at a particular function have never even been close to doing the thing that the customer actually does. And I don't know how to bridge that. I mean, it does take expertise and sitting in one seat, but uh, I don't know if there's a tour of duty or something we need to do. Yeah, no, I've, um, I've been trying to answer that question uh, for many, uh, for many years. And I've brought on, um, on my podcast, brought on uh, CX uh, experience leaders as well. And it boils down to just a, an easy way to say it is customers don't see your channels. They see your brand. And that is ridiculously scary for a brand if you don't know that too. So to one of the things we, we came to the conclusion on that if that's the problem, which is be customer zero, meaning you literally walk through and experience your brand from the outside. Uh, and I've heard of folks actually doing that. Like they'll call through the call center 
you know, they'll, they'll buy their product. They'll have a problem with it. They'll go to the website. They'll try to solve it themselves. Um, they'll buy the product to your point around, um, uh, the payments and the pricing and the options and, uh, the, you know, the insurance and then the customer service follow-up calls and going in store, buying online, going, actually going through that. I think you can't shortcut empathy with assumptions. You really have to put yourself through the cut, the paces, uh, that you put your customer through. Um, and, uh, otherwise it's, yeah, it's massively scary. And, um, I mean, ultimately it, it wrecks your, you know, financial and, or, you know, brand or NPS or whatever kind of like, you know, core outcomes of CX you're trying to drive. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'll tell you what, like a, I had a huge epiphany about like, hey, let's work with legal on this because doing business with us as a result of our 65 page MSA that is just awful. Like this is a huge blocker to like demonstrating that we give a rat's ass about somebody's time. And can, you know, can we, can we fix this? Now I understand risk mitigation. I know why you do contracts. I know why you have these things, but we need to go through this and say, you know, forget about like ultimately doing business with us. We can't get people to do business with us if we treat them with such disregard for like their intelligence with this document. And let's sit down and figure that out. And you kind of go like, how far would, who, who mentions legal in, in a CX, you know, sort of or ABX type of context, but that's a cheat code right there, you know, especially in B2B. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, as much as every anybody can say, that they're easy to buy from. Anyone can say they've got the best product, but ultimately it's like that social proof that somebody going back to like the, the ratings and review sites, somebody before they even buy from you, they're going to see what did somebody who already bought you from say, and they're going to see that, Hey, great product, but buying from them was, was terrible. Um, and, or it was, you know, they made it very difficult on like the last mile of my purchase. And yeah, oftentimes there's, there's like, um, I call it, we've shipped the org chart. Actually, I borrowed that from, he was a Microsoft executive, executive. He said, don't ship the org chart. Don't let the customers, the outside world, see your internal dysfunction. That should really be a thing that we think about and then challenge. Yeah. Why is the, the contract 90 pages? Uh, why do we make it harder for folks to buy? And, um, like the the process of transacting can be the differentiator. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, w- without question. I love that. Well, great insight. You know, for a, for a transition to as I told you off mic, and if you listen to past episodes, you know I put everybody in the futurist hot seat at the end and kind of go, all right, we've got you know hundreds of hopefully thousands or ten thousands of B two B leaders listening here. You know what needs to be on the radar. And that might not be, you know, from your perspective over the next, you know, two, three years. Yeah. What I'm seeing a lot of is organizations building for building for change. This idea of future proofing ourselves to use like a buzzwordy term is is what we need to do. Uh, and that that requires, you know, all aspects of I call it composability of your organization. So it's the it's the technology, it's the the people, the process, the mindset, the culture, um, we're going to have to be able to 
move and change uh, much faster in the future. Um, so, you know, let's prepare for that now. What does it take um, on all levels? And then uh, realize that, you know, this world is becoming, well, with technology permeating, it's becoming more deep uh, within the world, you know, while it's, it's certainly scattered across the world and made us more connected, we're much more, we're further away now. Uh, but at the same time, there's technology in our houses, in our homes, you know, like on our wrists. And how can we think about creating, and this is the, the key word here, which is the most ergonomic experience we possibly can with our audience. Uh, it gets back to your example with the with the legal department. It's the example of making things harder than they need to be. And if we're humans, we're trying to buy, to transact, how can we as brands make that as easily as possible and uh, minimize the cognitive load on our audience and our, our consumers, making experiences more ergonomic, content more ergonomic, you know, as far as getting uh, even into like the, the science of how our brains work, how we like to consume. So I think uh, we, we need to be thinking about being more ergonomics brands. I love I love using that term that way as I'm I'm sitting here thinking like yeah I haven't stood up in my desk today and my neck hurts so you know I, I mean it's like it's a perfect metaphor for like are we making our you know customer just feel awful from dealing with us and you know how do how can I sink into the comfy chair and have my back rubbed while I buy this uh, fifty thousand dollar enterprise software so. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think fantastic. Ed, love love the insights, man. Thanks so much for for hanging out. If anybody resonates or you know wants to reach out to you, uh, what's the best channels to do that? Yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. You can search for me, just Ed E D Brealt B R E A U L T on LinkedIn. Check me out on aprimo.com. I'm also there. Check out Marketing Cheat Codes, my podcast, very complimentary talks that we have. Yeah, I'm out there. You search my name, you'll probably you'll see my my face and or some presentation or webinar or something pop up. And I'm always up for good discussions. Right on, man. Hey, thanks so much for coming out. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ledge. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.